So if you still have your Bible open or if you've not grabbed your Bible yet, I would encourage you to do so. We have Bibles out on the table. If you need to grab one, feel free to slip out if you need to grab a Bible. You can also generally find the Bible on your device. So if you have a Bible app, you can navigate to the book of Ephesians. We've been working section by section, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. We're in the second half of the book of Ephesians. The first half deals with the plan of God and salvation, the grace of God displayed in Christ. And then the second half of Ephesians, chapters 3 to 6, or 4 to 6, deal with the, the practical implications. How do we live in light of that good news? And we saw back in chapter 4, verse 1, that Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now today, as we, as we go to verse 17, he's continuing the same logic. In some ways, he's going back to that same therefore from verse 1, that he's saying, therefore, in light of all that we've been saying about the plan of God, the grace of God, now this is chapter 4, verse 17, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we need you that we are dust, we are limited. God, we, we are so prone to come to your word academically, to come to your word as a matter of, of head knowledge. And so, Father, we ask that our entire humanity would be engaged today. I pray that you would engage the minds and the hearts and the wills of those who are listening to this sermon. And Lord, please engage my mind, my heart, my will in proclaiming this text. And so, Father, together, bind us together in your spirit, in your love, uh, that we can be not simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, when Jonathan and I were doing outreach and evangelism over at Booth's Corner that we do from time to time, uh, we met a, a man who had grown up in the church. He was raised in a Christian home. His father was actually a, a pastor. Uh, but for a time, he had walked away from Christianity. 
And his stated reason for walking away from Christianity was the lifestyle of his Christian friends. He, he looked at his friends who claimed to be believers, and he said, there, there's no difference between them and my unbelieving friends. They, they live the same, they talk the same, they watch the same movies, they have the same struggles, there's no difference. And he actually turned to Islam for a while, because when he looked at his his Muslim friends, he felt like they actually lived out their faith. They actually displayed a, a connection between what they professed and what they actually did in daily life. And thankfully, this man ended up leaving Islam and came back to, to Christianity. And yes, we can say that his answer was wrong to, to leave his profession of Christ for another religion, but I do think that he saw a, a real problem in the church, that there is a real problem where believers will confess the name of Christ, they'll profess to be believers, but then they look exactly like the world. There, there's no difference in how they live, how they conduct themselves. And you could think about this even in the, the celebrity world. You could think of celebrities that profess to be Christian, Justin Bieber, Kanye West. There, there are many well-known celebrities who profess the name of Christ. But then when you look at their, their lives, the way that they live on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't seem different from the other celebrities who do not confess the name of Christ. This is a problem. We, we see this in our own hearts. Are we living out of the reality that we have in Christ? That's what we saw in verse 1 of chapter 4, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. But then look at the first verse of our text, verse 17, how the Apostle Paul speaks into this problem. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. That's strong language. He, he's using oath language. He, I'm not just saying this. I'm saying and testifying. It's like when your parent speaks to you and, and uses not just your name, but your first name and your middle name together. You know that they really mean what they're about to say and you better listen. That's what Paul is saying. He's, I'm saying and I'm testifying in the Lord. And so we better pay attention. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It seems strange what he's saying at first, because if you've been with us and you've been tracking the logic of Ephesians, all the way since chapter two, he's been saying, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're, they're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That there are, aren't second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. That the church should be a multi-ethnic, multicultural church of Jew and Gentile worshiping together. But then here, he's speaking to the Gentile believers, and he's, he says that they should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. One commentary said that though they may be ethnically Gentile, 
they should not be ethically Gentile. And I think that's exactly what Paul would say to us, that if he came forward 2,000 years and he visited Hope Presbyterian Church in Garnet Valley, Pennsylvania, that he would see predominantly Gentile church worshiping the Lord, and he would look at what characterizes American culture, and he would say that, that you may be American believers, but don't walk like Americans do in the futility of their minds. You may be ethnically Gentile. Do not be, eth- do not be ethically Gentile. Think of how you're conducting yourself in the world. What does your life look like as one who professes the name of Christ? Is it the same as everyone else, or is there any difference? And then look at how Paul roots that in our text. So he, he gives the strong warning, don't walk like the Gentiles. But then you might say, well, why? Why should we not live like the Gentile world around us? And then Paul shows us three aspects of this Gentile world. First, he says they are darkened in their understanding, that the surrounding Gentile world, the unbelieving world, may claim to have the light of knowledge. They might claim to be wise, to understand how the world really works. But Paul says, spiritually speaking, they are darkened in their understanding. They're walking in spiritual darkness. But then he adds, they are, second, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Think of this alienation. I heard someone say once that it's our umbilical cord to God has been cut, that that God is the the source of life. He's the, the source of all existence is the creator. But through our sin, our, that relationship to him has been severed. The umbilical cord has been cut, that we're, we're cut off from the light, cut off from the spiritual nutrients, and that left in that condition, we, we die spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We begin to die physically, and ultimately we die eternally, cut off from God alienated from God. So that's the second aspect of the Gentile world Paul highlights. They are, as we said, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. But then third, he says that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And that language reminds me of what Paul said in Romans 1 where he says that the the Gentile world, the unbelieving Gentile world, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that in their idolatry, God gave them over to immorality, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's what Paul is highlighting. And and it flows out of this, this callous heart. They have become callous. If you think of a 
a wound that gets injured over and over again, that eventually it can develop a hard callus. You can have nerve damage where you don't even know how you're hurting yourself because you are insensitive. And that's what happens as we, as we continue to, to sin, continue in our idolatry and our rebellion against God, that slowly our heart develops that thick callus, that our moral sensibility is, is deadened, and that we stop seeing our sin as sin. And then we do what the, the prophets describe, where we call evil good and good evil. Or as Paul says at the very end of Romans 1, that they not only do these things, but they give approval to those who practice them. That is what characterizes the Gentile world. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, callous, and giving themselves up to sensuality. You look at that picture and you say, well, that, that doesn't sound like my unbelieving neighbors or my unbelieving family. This, this sounds almost like a grotesque exaggeration, a caricature. But this is an honest picture of the unbelieving world, that by God's grace, he restrains the unbelieving world from being as bad as it could be all of the time that he restrains sin in the world to hold society together in his common grace. But this is the true, realistic, unmasked picture of the world, according to Scripture. That the world may look beautiful on the outside, but really it's like a, a whitewashed sepulcher. It's like a tomb with bones rotting inside. Where you can think in the, the book of Proverbs, it says that a, a beautiful woman without discretion is like a pig with a ring in its nose. And that's the same thing with, with the world, that the world may seem beautiful on the outside, but in reality, when you consider it truly spiritually, it's like the, the pig with a ring in its nose. And I think that this is especially important for the younger people here, but of course for all of us. But I think when you're young, especially if you've grown up in the church, you can clearly see the problems in the church. And trust me, there are many problems in the church. And you can look at the outside world around you and you say, well, they seem far more knowledgeable, they seem far more wise, can seem far more nice, can seem far more in touch with true spirituality. And there could be a temptation to forsake the kingdom of God for the world. And that's why Paul is saying here, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Remember the true condition of the world. Don't flirt with the unbelieving world because it is dark, it is alienated, it's callous. And as one who has been called out of the domain of darkness into Christ's marvelous light, why would you go on living like the, the world around us when we have been called to new life, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life? That's the question that we see here. But then thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us there. 
Look at verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And we can say that for Hope Church as well, that this is not the way that we learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And just as a side note there, notice the contrast where he talked about the ignorance and the darkness of the unbelieving world. But then here he talks about knowledge. He says, you have heard about Christ. You have been taught about Christ. That, that knowledge of Christ is not something that we well up within ourselves. It's not something that we discover some kind of inner light, but it's something that we receive from the outside, comes from the outside in, that we hear about Jesus. We're taught about him. That's why it says in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's why Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 to go out into all the nations, baptizing, making disciples, teaching, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. Notice what the church in Ephesus had been taught. First, he says that they were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That when we're tempted to, to live like the Gentiles, content, tempted to live like the unbelieving world around us, Paul says, remember, you were taught in Christ to put off the old self. It could also be translated the old man. But as believers, we have, we have two warring natures within ourselves that we have what's called the old self, the old man. We have the new self, the new man in Christ. Two principles at work within us. And look at what Paul says about this old man, this old self that is dwelling within each one of us. He says that it, is, it belongs to our former manner of life in verse 22. This is who we were before we put our trust in Christ. And so yes, in one sense, we are new creations. We have been called out of darkness into light. But just as they say that somebody who has been an addict, somebody who has struggled with addiction, even once they, they break the pattern of that addiction, they still have the neural pathways. They, they still have a propensity for that addiction in their mind. <laughs> And there's an analogy of that spiritually, that, that we have a propensity, we have a, a nature that, that wants to go back into old patterns of who we were before we were in Christ. And Paul says that it's not only our former manner of life, but that it's corrupt through deceitful desires. That we have desires, we have good desires, we have bad desires. But when we consider the desires of the old man, of the old self, he says that those, those desires are deceitful. And think about that, that you have desires in your heart that are deceitful, that, that maybe seem good, that seem right. But then when you take those desires 
and you put them up against God's word, you say, wait, these don't line up. And so the, the call is to recognize the deceitful desires for what they are, that they're coming from the old man. And so how is it that we then put off the old man? And the first step is to recognize that you have an old man in your heart. You have an old self living within you, that you have a Trojan horse in your heart. You have an enemy within. You have a principle within you that is opposed to the things of God, that even though you desire to do what is right, that right there all the time there's this contrary desire opposing what you want to do as a believer. So you recognize that the old man is there and that it's a serious endeavor to deal with that, that inner self. But then also practically reflect on the times where the old man raises his ugly head. And that, that's one way to begin to, to put off the old self, to, to begin to track the occasions in your life where the old man starts to rear its head. Maybe it's when you're, you're tired and the old man raises its ugly head to be unkind to your wife or to your kids. Maybe you're stressed. The old man raises its head to fall into old patterns of sin because you've had a hard day. You're, you're stressed. It's okay. Maybe your coworker gets the promotion rather than you and the old man of jealousy raises his head. Or maybe you have unhindered internet access. You can go anywhere. No one will know that the old man raises his head, that you have the old man waging war within your heart, and that the call here is to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Throw it away. Burn it in the fire. But of course, thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us there. Because if he only left us with putting off the old self, well, that can so easily fall into legalism, where you're only focused on not doing something. But if you're only focused on not doing what is wrong, you're going to be ineffectual in that work. If I said, right now, do not think about purple elephants. Whatever you do, do not think about it. Well, I'm sure that you're all thinking about purple elephants right now. That, that part of the way that we put one thing out of ourselves is by putting something else back in. So if we're putting off the old self, what are we putting on? And that's why Paul says that not only have they been taught in Christ to put off the old self with its former manner of life, but he says to be renewed in the spirit of their minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You say, well, what is the new self. How do I put on this new self? Well, it says in Galatians 3 that as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It says in, in Romans that we should put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh. That ultimately, when we put on the new self, that we're, we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we repent of our sins, 
We're, we're putting off our desire to save ourselves. We're, we're putting off the sin that, that we put it off. And, it, and Jesus takes our sin on himself on the cross, that he bears the penalty for our sin. And then when we put on Jesus Christ, we put on his perfect life, his perfect obedience, his sacrificial death, that you're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ in his obedience. And so you're putting on not your own work, but, but something that's a gift. And that's why this isn't legalism. He's not saying put on your, your best effort, put on the best that you can do in this life. Just focus on not doing the wrong thing. But if we're focused on Jesus, putting him on, having him at the center of our life, that there's no room left for the old man. There's no room left for the desires of the flesh. And Paul says that then we are created after the likeness of God. That yes, every single human being in the world is, is created in the image of God. We were, it says in Genesis 1 that we were created in the image and likeness of God. That image was marred, but even in Genesis 9, after the fall, it states again that we are in the image of God, but it's, it's dirty, it's covered with gunk and muck, uh, that we are not properly reflecting the image of God. But Paul says that when we, when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we begin to reflect him, that, that the image is restored, it's, it's clean, that it's true humanity reflecting the image of the God-man the Lord Jesus Christ. And going forward in this chapter, in coming weeks, we'll look at how Paul shows practical outworkings of what it looks like to, to put on the new man. He talks about it in the, later in this chapter for dealing with anger, for dealing with speech, for dealing with work, for thinking about marriage, about worship, about parenting. He's going to show us the practical outworking of what it is to put off the old self and the new self. But today I just want to leave you with this important question. Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you still clothed in your own work, your own endeavor to save yourself? Are you trying to clothe yourself in your own moral performance? Are you, do you see yourself as, as clothed in, in your sin, in your past, the way you've fallen short? Well, we have the, the offer for each and every one of us to, to put off the old self, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to trust in him for salvation, and then to hear the call flowing out of that, the gracious call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Let's pray. Father, today we desperately ask that you would help us to put off the old self. But Lord, we, we don't want to approach this from our own effort, from our own moral performance, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us put on his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, the identity that we have in him. And then Lord, let us live out of that reality to not live like the world. And Father, we pray that we would be different, that we would be distinct, 
We pray that we would be different in the way that we approach marriage and sexuality, the way that we approach anger and relationships and work and every aspect of life. Lord, bring it all under the, the lordship of Christ, that we would lay it all at your feet and that we could walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ. The good works that he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.